This is episode 280, featuring a behind-the-scenes coaching call with a master's runner named Bradford on how he can keep the improvement train running well into his 40s. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is a behind-the-scenes coaching call. Listen in as I speak with Bradford, a master's runner who's had a breakout year and wants to continue his amazing progress. You'll hear what he should keep doing, ideas for more improvement, what he should be thinking differently about, and more. If you love the sport and you want to keep doing it for a long time, I think you're going to love this episode. And if you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning. And you can connect with me on Instagram at jasonfits one Our home base is strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world, no matter how fast they are, with our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and our suite of training programs to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by Inside Tracker, created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data. Inside Tracker provides a personalized health analysis from the most relevant source you can find your own body. Get your blood tested to find the rate at which you're aging, recommendations to optimize your health, and any physiological red flags that might be negatively impacting your running. Now you can get 20% off their entire store at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning with no space. Get yours at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning with code strengthrunning for 20% off. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1, one of the few supplements that I think are worth your time. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available, and it's super convenient with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to gift you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase if you just want to try it, or a monthly drop to make sure this is part of your ongoing nutrition plan. I try to have one serving every day of AG1. Tell me cover all of my nutrition bases. It gives me a nice boost of midday energy, and I want to make sure I'm supporting my immune system as well. Get yours and see all the details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. All right, my guest today is a runner named Bradford. He's a 40-year-old runner from Washington, D.C., who's made some big improvements over the last year, and he wants to keep making those improvements. It's a difficult time to continue progressing once you hit about 40, so we're going to make sure he has the strategies he needs to keep getting better. Without further delay, please enjoy this coaching call with Bradford. Hey, Bradford. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited you're here. Thanks for having me, Jason. So we are going to have a fun episode today. We are going to do a coaching call podcast. Uh, this is also going to be interesting because 
you train with a crew, you have a group you do workouts with, and you don't really want to change much of that. So this is sort of like, what can we improve on the margins so that you can keep improving? So why don't we get a little bit of background on who you are, how long you've been running, sort of what you've been doing in the last, you know, six months to a year in your running career. And then uh, we can get to the business of helping you improve. Sure. Um, well, so in in my non-running life, I'm a 40-year-old practicing lawyer. I live in Washington, D.C., or live in Arlington, Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. with my family, um, my wife and two elementary and middle school age kids. So life is, life is pretty busy. Um, but I've been able to fit running into it over the last couple of years in, in a way that's led to some really exciting gains for me that I want to discuss a little bit more and think about how to build on. Going back to the beginning of my running career, I, I definitely was, uh, for a lot of good reasons, always sort of like picked last um, in PE, in elementary and middle and high school, you know, had no, no athletic or competitive background from my schooling years. But um, when I was trying to get my life together in college, I guess probably around 2001 or 2002, somewhere in that range, I started running casually like a lot of, you know, a lot of people do. And it really uh, did a lot of good things for, for my body and for my mind and for my life. And it's been a core part of, you know, my, my day to day and and my persona really ever since then. Um, I didn't start out with any particular talent as a runner. It didn't feel that way to me. I, I remember so vividly, uh, in the concluding stretch of my first 10 K being passed by a race walker, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, which, you know, some of them were very fast, Jason. So I, 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 I'm still proud of that performance, but it was It was demoralizing to get walked by, um, as I was sprinting to the finish line. <laughs> well, you've come a long way since then. Why don't you give folks, uh, an idea of, how good you are because you might be 40, but you're running times that I think even much younger men would be very envious of running. Uh, well, uh, thank you for the flattery. Uh, so, you know, really I think the story of my running is uh, a half a dozen years or so ago, I started running with a group here in Washington. That's kind of a, a competitive running group called capital area runners. We're coached by George Buckheit and um, you know, one of those local running groups that has, some sub elite people in it. And typically we've got one or two or maybe three people who are running the Olympic trials marathon. But most of, most of the crew is people like me who are fitting running in around the rest of their busy lives. Um, you know, many of the group are former collegiate athletes, um, you know, and so we're kind of that front of the pack, but local group. I started training with, with, uh, capital area runners, like I said, several years ago and really started to make gains in my, in my running and in my training. Uh, I, I really had a breakout year last year though. And I think that's a, a result of a, a combination of factors, but I had a PR at the, in a, in a road mile of five thirty. um, PR in the five K on a track at eighteen twenty, Um, and I think that maybe the highlight of the year was, a 124 high half marathon here in DC. I was planning to run a marathon in the fall, but ended up getting pretty sick at the the height of the marathon training cycle and ended up not, not running that goal race in, in November. Okay. So 
yeah, you've really had some great performances over the last year. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, we emailed a little bit before we started this call. You know, you told me a, a 518 road mile and 1819 on the track for 5K. So let's let's give yourself those couple seconds there. Okay. All right. I'll take them. Thanks. <laughs> you can take every second you can get. Um, and, and the 124 high half is is certainly great. Um, of course, uh, it was a little bit not great that you were able to, uh, not, not able to run that marathon. But, um, I think, I think overall it's probably a good thing. You know, you said you were maybe dealing with a little bit of an injury. You were a little bit sick, probably wouldn't have been a great performance if you were to try to, you know, run 26.2 miles as hard as you can. You know, there's just such a difficult event. You really want to stack the deck in your favor. So, what is your marathon goal? Do you, are you, are you really hoping to get in that sub three club? Well, one of the, one of the blessings and maybe a bit of a curse from last year is that I just, I did have this taste consistently through the season of a level of fitness that I had not experienced before, you know, um, that 5k, that half marathon, I just felt great through those races. Like I paced them very well. Uh, I was running them both with either teammates or other people from the running community that I knew. And so, you know, was really able to reach my limits. I felt like in both of those races, they both really line up well with a three hour marathon in terms of, you know, your race equivalent performances. So it's very hard to look away from that, both the the feelings of fitness that I had during this cycle. And also it feels like achieving that big goal of the three hour marathon was just right there. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty hard for me to back off from that goal and have, you know, really anything other than that in the front of my mind. At the same time, I haven't run the Boston marathon yet, which is also something that I want to do. So that's, you know, on my, on my list of goals as well, you know, and running that Boston qualifying time for my age group is materially slower than that three hour marathon. Yeah. And the course itself is, is more difficult. So I would say if you're trying to go for a sub three, you probably want to choose an easier course than Boston. Um, Boston is just a little bit more for the experience, just the, the whole, you know, production of running the Boston marathon is just so exciting. Let's talk a little bit more about your past training. So let's talk about what happened over the last year that really enabled you to break through this plateau to get to this new level of fitness and run some of these times. And then we can talk a little bit about, you know, your history with uh, your overall weekly mileage and maybe what you were able to run, you know, you know, roughly on average over the last year. And then also we can talk about, you know, your long run progressions and some of the workouts that, that you're typically running in a training cycle. So, you know, are, are you someone who's running, one workout a week, two workouts a week, three workouts a week. What's your mileage look like too? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I guess I'll talk mostly about last year and then I can tell you, you know, during the, during the buildup and training cycle last year, and then I can tell you a little bit about what I'm doing currently. So over the course of last year, we run, um, a fairly orthodox, I think, um, training schedule of three quality workouts a week. Tuesday is, you know, 5K or so of VO2 max intervals at the track. Um, Friday is generally solid state tempo also at the track, you know, three or four miles at a lactate threshold kind of pace. And then 
long runs on Sunday, um, you know, included some big segments of marathon pace work, either at the end of a progression run or in marathon pace intervals of four, three, two, one miles. So probably from mm, the spring through October when I got sick and somewhat injured, I was running on that schedule in terms of the quality workouts with the variation over time being the total weekly volume over the, the course of the year on average, I probably ran 40 miles a week on average. Um, but in August and September, that was more like 55 to 60, um, which was the, the greatest volume that I've ever run consistently. Uh, I, I very much feel like that was the key to the performance breakthroughs that I had this year, putting up those, you know, just greater volumes. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where things were last year and the structure of the training. There's some nuances to it, but like basically that's what we're talking about. Um, currently I'm running in the mid thirties and getting one quality workout in a week. Like that's been a tempo some weeks. It's been, some quality in my long runs other weeks, my long runs like 12 miles right now. All right. So the good news I think is that you're training really well. You know, you have a good group, you have a good coach to that group. You're running, um, you know, these sort of classic workouts and, and there's a reason why this is a little bit of a conventional schedule. It's because it works and you're obviously experiencing some of that progress and that's just awesome. Um, one of the things that I, that I was thinking is that, you know, if you are doing two of those harder workouts and a long run per week, and, and the long run includes some goal marathon pace running in it, you're pretty much doing the most challenging workout schedule that there potentially can be. I mean, there are some schedules where you're doing three harder workouts per week and then a long run, and the long run doesn't include any quality running. Um, I, I would say the two are, are roughly similar in terms of overall difficulty. If you're running three faster sessions a week, one of them usually isn't like super hard. It's typically a, you know, a B workout or just less of a priority where you might be doing a little bit more, you know, maybe it's just a couple miles at goal marathon pace, or, you know, it's six by 200 at mile pace. It's a relatively, uh, either slower or could be faster, but very low volume workout. So when we're looking at what are the potential menu options to get you faster? I don't think I would necessarily say we got to be more consistent with workouts. I don't think your faster training sessions are challenging enough. You know, we need to start dialing up the intensity. I think you're already there. The other thing I was thinking is that for you to run some of the times that you've run off 40 to maybe 55, sometimes 60 miles a week, I think is actually really great. Um, I, I think all these workouts and a little bit of extra mileage really helped you express more of your fitness, but what's really going to open up your capacity for more is the higher mileage. And I think you were starting to experience some of that last fall where you had some, okay, I'm in the fifties for mileage now. And then all of a sudden you just feel a little bit stronger. You just feel more capable. You just are able to execute on those faster workouts better and better because you have the strength from that additional mileage. Yeah, I was going to say there's this very counterintuitive thing in running that the key to running faster is to run more slow miles. 
and we, you know, we hear that over and over again from people like you in the, you know, who are running educators and coaches. Um, and it's very hard to internalize as an athlete. But this year was the first time when it really clicked. I was like, because my my intensity volume stayed pretty consistent, right? I was still just doing 5K of VO2 max. I was still just doing 5K of tempo, but I was running twice as many miles and just progressing massively and feeling so much stronger when I was doing it and so much more controlled, even at hard efforts. It really clicked for me that like, oh, this is, it's it's so odd that going out and running 10 miles in 90 minutes is the key to developing the performance to run, you know, a five minute mile. But it, it really felt that way to me as it was happening. Yeah. The, the analogy that I love on what makes this phenomenon actually work is that the easy mileage is like, you know, it, it's, it's you building a bigger stick. Everyone wants a big spear, right? The workouts sharpen your spear. But if you don't have a big spear to begin with, if your stick is really small, you're not going to do much damage. The easy mileage, the long runs, the total volume of work that you're doing just give you an enormous stick. And if you have a tree trunk, then you're going to be able to sharpen that a little bit more effectively with all the faster workouts that you're doing. But, you know, if you're someone who's running eight miles a week and you're doing, you know, 10 kilometers worth of that at a harder effort, you're just not really going to get anywhere because there's really nothing to sharpen. So that analogy can be really helpful as you think about, okay, how am I going to get fast? Because you sort of have to think about, well, am I trying to get fast in the short term or the long term? I think you want to get faster in the long term. And that usually requires more volume. You know, you can supplement with cross training, of course, you can be very gradual with the increases in mileage. I'm not saying go run 90 miles a week next week. But the overall gradual process of just running a little bit more is very, very powerful. Um, now, if you wanted to run a fast race in six weeks, you know, the, the answer to that is let's get your workouts on track. Um, so that's a good way of thinking about both your overall mileage and your workouts. Like the workouts are great. They're needed to express all of your fitness, but most of your fitness is actually built through the overall volume of your training. Um, so, okay. So this gives me a really good idea of your past training history, what you've been doing recently. Now let's talk a little bit more about the future. Let's talk about what you'd like to do so that we can hopefully tweak some things, optimize what you're currently doing, do more of what's working for you. Cause I think there's a lot that's currently working. You're on this great upward trajectory and performance. So let's keep you there. Um, we are recording this. Let's see. It is December 19th. What would you like to do both in the next four months and then in the next one to two years? Yeah. So in the next um, four months, I would like to commit to a spring marathon on a fast course that sets me up to hit that three-hour goal if I put the training in and have a good day. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd like to... I'd like to accomplish that in the spring in part because um, I have a time qualifier for New York by virtue of this fast half marathon that I ran last year. And so I'm planning to run New York in the fall of next year, which is not a course I don't think that is ideally set up to, to hit a fast time goal. 
um, you know, and then within the next two years, like, um, I, I think that would kind of put, uh, put Boston into 2024 for me in terms of schedule. Um, and then <laughs> hopefully I can relax on the marathon goals a little bit and start doing some other things. But in terms of like my running goals over the next one to two years, I'd love to check that three hour box. I think the best chance for, for that for me in the immediate term is the, in the spring. I definitely want to do New York in the fall because I've got that time qualifier and it's a race that I've always wanted to do. And if things go well at either of those outings next year, that will set me up to do Boston in the spring of 24, um, you know, which gets pretty close to two years out from, from today. Um, I like to do some racing in the meantime, you know, at other distances. And I actually have a three K on the calendar for February um, indoor, which should be interesting and different. Um, but that's kind of the broad arc of, of the plans that I already have from here going forward. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Okay. So you are going to do New York in the fall of 2023. And I agree. New York city is not an easy course. Uh, you have some pretty good elevation gain and loss just with all those bridges going borough to borough. Um, with that said, the crowd support is absolutely amazing at New York City. It's just wall to wall for 26 plus miles. Everyone's yelling at you like it's very high energy and it can be really great um, just to, to keep you going. Um, so, OK, we have more of a shorter term marathon goal in front of us. And, and I think when we're talking about how do we run our fastest marathon time possible and you have a sub three goal. You're right in that territory of where a sub three is possible. I typically like to tell runners, let's run an 85 minute half marathon before you attempt a, a sub three marathon. Because if you can't do an 85 minute half, you're probably not going to get close to a sub three marathon. And you've done that. You've run 84 high. How, how close to 85 flat were you? You're like 50 seconds. Okay. So 84.50 for half marathon. I think one of the things that you could do within the next couple of weeks is gradually start to run more. You're going to want to get to those higher mileage levels that made you feel so strong last fall. And the sooner you can get there, of course, the, in the safest way possible, the better, because your body's just going to have more time to adapt to that mileage level and to benefit from those mileage levels. Um, so I think trying to get back into the 50s as soon as possible, I think is fine. Uh, cause you're probably going to want to race a marathon in the, you know, somewhat early to mid spring territory. Uh, and this gets back to your goal of essentially running the fastest marathon possible. You, you are essentially wanting to run a time trial. You don't want to compete against other runners. You want to compete against yourself. It's going to be really important to choose not only a course that's going to be fast that you can run at, at a fast pace, but also a race where the weather is going to be, um, you know, amenable to that goal. Because if you're trying to run fast and it's even 55, 60 degrees, your performance is going to suffer because of the heat. It's just like coming up to altitude. There's really no amount of preparation that's going to prepare you for it. You know, you can't train your way to run fast in the heat or run fast at altitude. They are simply performance limiters. So I think the marathon you choose for this race is going to be just as important as the training. Let's choose uh, the flattest, fastest, maybe a slight uh, negative 
uh, elevation loss to the course. And that's really going to help you maximize your chance of running as fast as possible. So step one, choose the right race. If it's in May, it better be in like North Dakota so that, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that you're not running into any kind of summer weather. Uh, and then as soon as you can start running, you know, higher volumes. Cause I think right now, you know, with you in the thirties, with you spending too much time in the thirties, with your experience in the forties and fifties, you might just start to become detrained, you know, like it'll maintain your fitness for a while, but if you do it for six months, that fitness is just going to start to backslide a little bit because your body is used to running a little bit more. You've reached that higher fitness level and to get back up there, you have to put in a similar amount of work. So that's the kind of short term solution that we're looking at right now. Like get your mileage up, choose a good race. Yeah. I, you, you can see me grimacing because it's, it's dark and cold in Washington, DC this time of year. And for the next eight or 10 weeks or whatever. And, um, uh, like a lot of runners, I've been struggling with the motivation of going out, you know, and running 10 miles every morning, which is basically what you're talking about when you're doing 60 miles a week. Um, and so I, I need to, I need to, to employ some mental tricks and, and maybe a conviction around this goal to get myself running that mileage again. Like it, it, yeah, the, the summers in DC are, are difficult, but I find it easier to, you know, to put up 10 miles a day on average in the, in the summer than I do in the winter. I'm the same way. I would so much rather run in the heat of the summer than when it's really cold out. I'm just a runner that doesn't like to be cold. And, you know, I had a friend in college who actually didn't run indoor track just because he didn't like running in the cold. Now I'm not that extreme. (laughs) I still did indoor track, but I understand that it's just not that fun to run when it's freezing outside and especially when it's dark too. But thankfully you live in Washington, DC. Hopefully, uh, even the cold weather, Rock Creek park is absolutely beautiful and a place where I have run many thousands of miles, uh, on those cold dirt trails in Rock Creek. So if you get in there, it's a little bit more inspiring and it it makes the miles go by a little bit faster. Um, I want to talk a little bit about tune up races because I think one of the areas in which you can really sort of predict the future is by scheduling some tune-up races into your marathon build so that you just get a sense for what your fitness level is like and, and where that fitness level is going. Like, are we improving? Are we maintaining? Are we backsliding? Um, and it's one of those scenarios where if you are finding that your tune-up races are just going great, you feel good, you're running PRs or close to PRs, especially in races that you're not really training for. So you're going to run a 3K in February. You're probably not going to be doing formal three-kilometer training for that race because, you know, it's sort of like on the way to your spring marathon. You know, you might only be two months out from your spring marathon. So it's one of those things where if you run really well in a tune-up race, when you're not really training for that distance, you're kind of just doing marathon training, that's a really good indication that your fitness level is where you want it to be. And that maybe you can be a little bit more aggressive on marathon day. So let's just take a quick example. Let's say you schedule a half marathon five weeks before your spring marathon. And you go in that with the expectation of maybe running a PR. And instead of running close to 8450, you run 8330, a fairly sizable improvement over your last PR in the half. Well, 
now I definitely want you to go after that sub three. Now I think we shouldn't be too conservative. Now it becomes, okay, as long as you have a good day on marathon day, I think that sub three is virtually guaranteed. You know, if you fuel well, if you pace yourself well, if you've chosen the right course, if, um, you know, the weather cooperates on race day and it's not 68 degrees and super sunny and humid, you're probably good to go. So it's one of those situations that I love because I just love almost guaranteeing things. And it gets to the point where if you're running 1745 in the 5k or you're running 83 minutes in the half marathon, that sub three is virtually guaranteed. Just like, you know, you've run a 530 mile. I think if you were to race that 3k in about two months, there's no way that you are going to run any slower than, I don't know, 1230, 13 minutes. I mean, you have already shown yourself to be this caliber of an athlete. And that's what these equivalent race performance are. They kind of show you, you know, kind of like where your level is as a runner, right? And it's almost like a rising tide lifts all boats. If you, if your 5k boat is rising because your fitness is increasing, it's going to increase your marathon time. It's going to, you know, boost all your other race times. So I'm a big believer in tune up races and racing them hard so that you get good data on where your fitness level is like. Um, did you, do you have any ideas on what kind of marathon you might be running in the spring? Yeah, well, I, I, I want to get to that, but I have a question that your last comment, um, raised in my mind, which is finding the right balance between optimal training and preparation and injury risk as a master's runner, you know, because putting a half marathon, my, my reaction to the idea of putting a half marathon four or five weeks before a marathon and really racing the thing is there's a good chance that's going to knock me off of my progress because of how demanding racing a half marathon is. Um, and that it could take me the better part of two weeks, even in normal circumstances to recover from racing a half marathon. Um, you know, I have a similar questions about these VO two max intervals that I'm doing on Tuesday. Like, are those a good, are, are the tune up races and the VO two max intervals, those kind of like, you know, either shorter or longer all out close to all out efforts. Are those smart on a risk reward basis for somebody in my situation? Yeah, that's a great question. And I did want to talk a little bit more about some of those challenging workouts, the VO2 max oriented workouts that you're running. I think in general, it's worth it if you take the proper precautions. So first let's tackle tune-up races. I think tune-up races um, are races, so they should be raced, which means 100% effort. It's not a workout. Typically, when you run a half marathon as a tune-up race, when you lead up to a marathon, in, in, a, in a perfect world, if your training is going well, you should be sore, but still able to continue training within the next couple days after the half marathon. So, you know, if you're running 50, 55, maybe 60 miles a week, uh, if you're running one or two faster workouts a week, if your long run is 16 plus miles, you probably will have the fitness where even if you race a half marathon all out, you know, you're going to be sore the next day, like no doubt about it. But hopefully within two or three days, you're maybe not back to normal, but just able to run and, and you're not experiencing any niggles or debilitating soreness. 
I will say that I think it's beneficial to modify the next week's worth of workouts after a half marathon, because I think that's where the injury risk really is. It's too much intensity. And I would much rather you see, see you run 70 miles a week with no workouts right now than 50 miles a week with two workouts, just because of how far away we are from when the marathon is this coming spring, because you're, you're, you're with a very lower risk, really building up your capacity. And you're not trying to sharpen that stick in any way. Like let's build the stick right now. We can sharpen it later on. And and that really dramatically lowers your risk. So if you only did one somewhat slower workout the week after the half marathon tune up, I would say like, that's the majority of the risk mitigation right there. You know, let's just not race a half marathon on a Saturday or Sunday. And then you go meet your club on a Tuesday to do a bunch of VO two max work. Like, no, no, no. Like that's not what we're going to do. Recipe for disaster. Exactly. Like your body is going to be sore. Your body's also just like coming down from the intensity of that moment. You need maybe the day, the day after you take off, maybe the next day you just do an easy five miles or something. Maybe the day after that you do an easy 10 miles. And then from there, you probably can get back into your normal schedule with the understanding that the first workout shouldn't be a VO2 max workout, maybe a shorter tempo run. Maybe you, maybe you really do something like four miles at goal marathon pace. That's barely a workout, right? Like that, that's very doable, very manageable. Um, you just have to recognize that the week after a half marathon race, the goal is mostly recovery. And if you skip all your faster workouts that week, maybe you do some sort of marathon pace session, but keep the volume low on that. You're not, you're not backsliding in fitness. You're not doing any of that. You're not going to compromise your training in any way. You had a day that was so much harder than most of your training days with that race. So you need a week that's a lot easier than most of your training weeks to get the recovery. And I do think the race itself acts as a workout. You're getting some of that fitness from that maximum effort. So I'm not too worried about, you know, the injury risk from the race. It's more that the injury risk is going to be a lot higher after the race based on what you do Got it. coming back from the race. So if you can structure things like that, then I'm not too concerned. Like you probably won't need to, you're not going to be sore for weeks after a half marathon. You're not going to be really struggling after four or five days. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so on the, I, I think you, this was kind of among your comments there. Um, those VO two max intervals on Tuesday, like they're, you know, it, it, it sounds as though I don't need to be emphasizing those at this stage in the cycle. Where, where do you think those workouts have their place over the course of say, you know, a, a, a base phase and, you know, 14 or 16 weeks of a, of a marathon training cycle? Yeah, this is the other great part of this question is that I I kind of think that maybe you were doing too many hard workouts over too long of a time period. Although, you know, who should really listen to me? I mean, you just ran a bunch of PRs and you're feeling good. And, um, you know, maybe that contributed to your little niggle and getting sick last fall. But, you know, at the end of the day, who knows? It does make me a little bit nervous that you're doing two faster sessions a week for four or five plus months. And that it, it seems like the VO2 max sessions are kind of the same 
during this entire time period, right? Like they're not dramatically changing. They're not evolving and progressing from week one to week 20. Can you give us a sense of, of if, if I'm off base with that or, or how the workouts have changed? Maybe the workouts start with a much lower volume and go up to higher volume at those faster paces or they get faster over time. Like give us a sense. No, of- they're a very static element. I mean, you know, you're talking about 5K of work broken into 400, 800, 1200 or 1600 meter pieces in all different configurations. But but those are, you know, that's the total distance. Those are the pieces um, or that's how the pieces are broken up. And, you know, that those are kind of that is what's on the menu every Tuesday year round. Now, that's not to say I'm out there every Tuesday or that anybody is out there every Tuesday because they're coming off races or what have you. But, um, you know, that's that's the menu on Tuesdays. Um, similarly, for Fridays, like by and large, that is a solid state tempo day. Occasionally, I guess when we get into the peak of the marathon training cycle, um, and we've got 20s or 21s or 22s, we will do one big workout on Wednesday following that instead of Tuesday, Friday. Um, and that's going to be like a 25 by 400. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's a big workout. Uh, well, it's like a, more like at a 10K pace for the for the 400s um, than, than a VO2 max kind of pace. But yeah, it's a demanding workout. You know, you're, but, but, you know, that's a week when you, you just have one big quality session on Wednesday instead of Tuesday, Friday. But, you know, that's probably four or, you know, four, four to six times in the peak of the cycle. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I think my advice here would be just be a little bit cautious with doing the VO2 max stuff for such a long period of time. I I think workouts should generally speaking, get more intense as you get through the training cycle. And if you're going to do two workouts a week, you know, I, I sort of like the, the, periodization structure that's a little bit pyramidal in that you're sort of working on your endurance and your speed all the time. And those two avenues for your fitness converge into race pace based workouts, your real race specific workouts in the final 25% or one third of the training cycle. Um, But before then you're doing workouts that are much shorter, but faster and workouts that are longer and slower. So, you know, for you, this might look like a tempo run, and then you're doing a secondary workout where you might only be running 200s and 400s, but they're quick, and you also get pretty good recovery. So it's not super stressful, but you are still exposing yourself to those faster paces. And then as you get into the middle of the training cycle, those VO2 max workouts can then get a little bit more challenging. You know, maybe now you're doing... 800 meter repetitions, um, maybe the volume of this workout is getting a little bit higher or the recovery is getting shortened just a little bit. So there's a lot of ways to play with the intensity or the overall difficulty of a workout. But just in general, I would be a little bit cautious about doing high volume, very fast workouts when you're three plus months out from your marathon. Because at the end of the day, the marathon is 99% aerobic. These faster workouts are going to make you feel fit. They're going to make you feel very confident as a runner, but they likely won't have an enormous impact on what's actually going to happen on marathon day. I think what's more impactful is what you do two, three, four, five months before the marathon. Are you running high mileage? 
Are you running a good long run? Are you running more aerobic-based workouts? And then also doing some of that neuromuscular work like strides, hill strides, uh, hill sprints, you know, any of that kind of stuff to really, you know, keep your nervous system tuned up, keep you used to running fast, but not in a way that's just going to make you super tired or overtrained or anything like that. So when you say aerobic-based workouts, like definitely that's that's the, um, you know, zone two kind of easy running that's definitely the marathon pace, uh, workouts, you know, as part of the long runs, do you put, uh, you know, lactate threshold tempos in that category? Yeah, I put anything that's at lactate threshold or tempo pace and slower in that category of aerobic workouts. And, you know, you can sort of think of them as a spectrum on, on the fast side of aerobic workouts. We have lactate threshold. That is by definition, the fastest pace that you're ever going to run while still running aerobically. So lactate threshold is the fastest you're going to go. And then for, for someone like you, there's probably like your uh, 10K pace, then your half marathon pace, then your marathon pace. And then finally, there's just your easy, your easy pace. And that's sort of how they will stack up against one another. Um, so you could do a variety of those workouts. You know, the tempo workouts are pretty great year round. You know, maybe you want to turn one of those tempo runs into a little bit more of an interval session where you're running something like eight by a thousand at tempo pace. And then you can make them more challenging as you get closer to the marathon by maybe doing something like 8k at tempo. Mm -hmm. So no repetitions, you're not getting any recovery. You're just running the whole thing straight through at your tempo pace. So that's one way to make those tempos a little bit more challenging. Okay. And it sounds like in the immediate term, as I'm um, increasing mileage that rather than going out and doing 5k of VO two max on Tuesday, then maybe the better thing is to do some strides and hill strides on Tuesdays in addition to an easy run. Yeah, I think that would be great. You know, like two or three days a week, you can do something like strides. Um, ideally the day before a harder workout, you know, like if you're going to do a workout, you know, do some strides the day before. You can also do some strides the day of your workout to help you prepare for that workout as part of the warm-up process. Um, yeah, I just worry about you getting into a situation where you've been running hard for months and you just start feeling a little flat. You start feeling like you've lost the pop in your step, like you don't feel as responsive. And that just gets to the fact that you can't maintain high intensity for a very long period of time. Everything sort of has to be uh, cyclical. So your rest and recovery, that easy base training, that competition phase of training where you are doing the VO2 max workouts, and maybe you're running tune-up races. And then finally, the, there's the peaking or tapering phase where your mileage is going to come down, you're going to maintain your intensity you know, you're gearing up for that a race, that goal priority race that you have. And then you sort of have to restart the cycle all over again, take a little bit of time off, do some easy running, rebuild, get back into it. So as long as we're going through this cycle without spending too much time in any one cycle, your progress is just going to keep improving over time. And I just worry that doing those VO2 max workouts for four plus months, you're staying in that competition phase for too long. Even if your volume is changing, like you're going through base training, competition training, or, or you're peaking, it seems like the workouts kind of remain flat. And that just makes me a little nervous. Yeah, that resonates with me. I, 
you know, I, I think it often happens when you get late in a marathon cycle that you just feel like you're running out of steam. But, but last year that definitely happened. And, you know, I even started to feel like my fitness was deteriorating, um, towards the end of the cycle. So that, that's, that's good advice. Um, so in terms of increasing the volume, like, is there a role for the bike in that? Because that's one of the ways that I've successfully added volume through the winter before, you know, indoors cycling, just, you know, putting in aerobic time on the bike. I'm a huge fan of that. I, I think there's very little drawback to adding to your weekly volume with cross training. Now you're a competitive runner. You're a performance minded runner. You want to run certain times and those times are fairly competitive. So this isn't a scenario where I want you to replace any running with cross training. I instead want you to layer on that cross training on top of what you're currently doing. And this can be great just to give you more aerobic bang for your buck. It can be great if you're injury prone. Like let's say that over the next year, you get up to 70 miles in a week, but you discover every single time you hit 70 miles in a week, it doesn't matter how slow those miles are. It doesn't matter how much strength training you're doing. It doesn't matter how much you're sleeping or managing stress. You're still getting injured when you start getting up to that mileage level. It might be better for you to stay at 65 and then just do a bunch of cross training. And maybe by doing that for one or two training cycles, you'll give yourself the ability to then add a little bit more in the future. But you're definitely a runner who would just benefit from one, two, three plus hours of easy cross training. You know, think of it as another distance run. It's just like another one of those 10 mile runs you go on. You know, it's just, a, it's just another easy effort. You can do that on the bike as well. And then, you know, if you're still doing some cross training, you get into, you know, the final four to eight weeks of your marathon cycle, you could add a little intensity on the bike too. Um, very similar to the workouts. I just don't want the intensity too high too early. And that kind of a situation is, is I think, very low risk. You're not really going to hurt yourself spinning on the bike at an easy effort, you know, for a couple hours a week, uh, unless you're doing something really weird and you're trying to juggle weights on the bike or something. I don't recommend that, Brad. Definitely not. <laughs> um, so really hard to hurt yourself if you're doing something like that, but the benefits are substantial. You know, it's just extra aerobic development in a way that is as specific to running as you're going to get without actually running. So big fan of the aerobic cross training. I think it helps bridge the gap between the mileage you're currently able to run and maybe the mileage that you'd like to run. So if you can't do high mileage, you can make up for some of that by doing some, uh, some aerobic cross training. Okay. We haven't talked about strength training, but that is something that I have been working to uh, working for many years to add consistently to my schedule without the success that, um, I have hoped for, but I've, you know, as I do in many off seasons, redoubled my commitment to getting into the weight room and I'm getting there a couple of times per week right now. Um, you know, over, over, over the course of last year and the last training cycle, I just, I could not keep up the intensity of running 60 miles a week and getting into the gym twice a week. Like the time and the fatigue was, was too much. Um, maybe, you know, being consistent about the gym now and ramping up the mileage on top of it will, will lead me to a greater success. But uh, since you're such an evangelist for, for strength training among runners, maybe you can tell me 
how am I going to keep my two gym days in the rotation as I get up from 35 to 50 or 60 miles a week? Well, it's possible. I can't create more hours in the day for you. Unfortunately, if I could, I, I, I would gladly sell them to you, <laughs> but I can't. So if you can find the time, we can make it work. I think the big key is just to recognize that you're not a strength athlete. You're a runner, right? That doesn't mean you're not going to do strength training. It's just in service of your running. And to do that effectively, we just need to make sure the intensity isn't so high that it's negatively impacting your running. So I usually look at this in, in a couple different ways. Number one, it is more exercise during the week. And so if you're someone who isn't great at fueling and you're dealing with fatigue, let's make sure we eat something after our run before our weightlifting session. Let's really make sure we're fueling appropriately because that's going to help counteract some of the you know, general fatigue we're experiencing if we're adding weightlifting to our training. The next thing is to make sure that we're lifting appropriate weight. I would much rather you not get anywhere close to your one rep max. You don't have to do things like that. You know, like a one rep max is basically the equivalent of running a race. It's a maximum effort. It's like working on your PR. If you're trying to PR in the gym once a week, like that, that is a, a recipe that is easily going to lead to either injury or, or burning out. So let's keep the overall intensity of your weightlifting relatively low and right now, think of it just like the base training that you're currently doing with your running. You know, you're building a foundation and you're building a foundation of not just endurance with easy running, long runs, and those aerobic workouts we talked about. We're also building a foundation of neuromuscular fitness. And that's why we're going to do strides. That's why we're going to do hill sprints or hill strides. It's sort of like keeping our nervous system tuned to running fast, making sure that we are practicing the very coordinated movement of sprinting and we're doing it on a regular basis. But again, in a way that's not very challenging, in a way that's not difficult. We also should be building a foundation of strength. Now that strength comes in a lot of different ways for runners. You know, we can build strength by running high mileage. We can build strength by just getting in great running shape. You know, when, when you ran your 518 mile, you could probably get in the gym and surprise some people even if you weren't lifting any kind of weight, just because the muscular force that you need to produce to run a 518 mile is substantial. You know, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a power-based activity just because running is plyometric in nature. So just by getting faster, you are also getting stronger. Now, that's the indirect way of getting strong. We want to be working on our strength in a lot of different ways. So yes, we want to be working on getting faster. That's kind of the idea of being a performance-minded runner, right? But we also want to be running a lot. We want to be working on our long run and overall mileage. That's going to give us a certain amount of strength to, to run fast. Um, we also want to be building a foundation of strength in the weight room. And at this phase of the training, it's very similar to base training. We're not going to keep the intensity very high. We're not going to uh, have the complexity of our lifts very high either. So we don't need to be doing Olympic lifts. We don't need to be doing 90-minute workouts. Uh, we don't need to be isolating muscles like bodybuilders do, you know, and have a buys and tries day or a shoulders day. You know, like that's, that's for the, the folks who want to gain muscle size. That's for hypertrophy. We really want to be working on strength and power and injury resilience. So right now, like three sets of 10, three sets of eight, somewhere in there, I think is just perfect. 
Um, and again, kind of just go, I don't want to say go through the motions, but just do the workouts and, and keep them relatively easy. And after a couple of weeks, you're just going to want to increase the weight because you're bored. But at the same time, you've now built the habit of strength training regularly and you're not you know, reeling from the effort of it all. It's not so challenging that you're just not going to do it or it's negatively impacting your running. And, and I think you can get very far by just lifting at a relatively easy effort consistently over time. You can get fancy later. You can get really programmatic and, and periodize your weightlifting and, and really go to town on, you know, redoubling your efforts with weightlifting when you want to, when, when that point comes at some point in the future. But if you are struggling a little bit with the consistency side of things, or you've struggled with implementing it in a way that doesn't negatively impact your running, let's just start at a very baseline level for now and see how that affects your body within the next, you know, four to six weeks. Okay, good. Yeah, well, I would recommend to everyone listening your high performance lifting program. Uh, it, it's very well put together and uh, easy to understand. And it's, it, you know, is a, a tool that I found to be very well suited to runners just from, from my experience, you know, using it as someone who really doesn't know his way around the weight room. Well, I didn't know that you had the program before we sat down to do this call. So, oh, I'm glad to hear that. So it's, yeah, I mean, that's something where there you have, you have the periodized, sometimes complex version of weightlifting that I think is, you know, the quote unquote gold standard. Like this is sort of the best structure and progression of weightlifting that we could ask for as endurance runners. And uh, you could certainly follow that. And I think that's probably a little bit better than uh, just winging it on your own because you're going to get the periodization, you're going to get the progression, you're going to really work on power when you need to be working on power, you know, in the one month or so leading up to your marathon. And that's going to be more effective than simply going through the motions. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll remember this conversation each time I'm tempted to skip out on the weight room. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too is, you know, I, I think, I think you have one year on me. I'm 39 right now. And I'm recognizing that lifting weights is becoming more and more important as I get older and just for longevity, not just general longevity and having a good health span, but longevity in the sport of running, there's probably very little that's more important than regular strength training, you know, and, and I'm not saying everyone has to get in the gym and throw around heavy weight, you know, body weight strength training can go a long way, but getting consistent with the strength work is going to keep us healthy. It's going to keep our body composition in a way that, that is conducive to running and it's going to improve our running too. So there's so many things to love about regular strength training. Uh, like you said, I'm an evangelist even though at the end of the day, I recognize that I'm a runner. I'd rather run a couple more miles than spend some time in the weight room. But hey, look, at the end of the day, we've got to do the things that enable us to do the thing that we really love, which is running. Yeah, right. And um, yes, running is very important to me, but I know uh, overall health is upstream of that. So that that to me is the the thing that is most powerful about strength training to me is just really dialing in that overall health you know, for the next couple of decades or however, however long I can keep it up. Absolutely. Well, Bradford, uh, this was a, a very wide ranging conversation on your past, what you've done recently, what you've got coming up in the next year. And it's a little bit different than some of the coaching calls I've done because 
we don't we didn't really have a, a specific formal problem or issue that we were trying to solve here. Instead, this was how do we keep this improvement train on the tracks and and run it on time? Because this is great. You're really seeing all this progress. And you reached out to me saying, I want to keep seeing all this progress. I want this to continue happening because I think you got a taste of how fun it is to feel fit and in shape and like you can challenge yourself. And it's just this intoxicating feeling that is one of the reasons why I fell in love with running. So I want to make sure that you're getting everything out of this call that that you want to get. Is there anything else with your future running or um, injury prevention or, or reaching some of these performance goals that you have? Is there anything else that you want to chat about before we sign off that we haven't had a chance to get to? No, this has been great. This is exactly what I was hoping for. And it's it's not only been informative, but fun. So thank you, Jason. Awesome. Well, Bradford, let us know. Follow up with me. Let me know how you do um, this spring if you end up tackling a marathon. And uh, I'm also, I didn't say this, but I'm so glad to hear that you're running a 3K. I want to say the 3K was the event that scared me the most in college. It was like short enough where you're just basically running a, almost mile pace and then hanging on for your dear life, you know, in the last, you know, 1400 meters. It's such a scary event. I, I, I ran one post collegiately and, and I never touched the distance since. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I will PR. I'm, I'm, I can confidently predict that in advance, having never run one myself, but um, I'm a little terrified about it too. It feels like a 5k distance at a one mile pace. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not fun at all. I mean, you're, it's 15 laps on an indoor track. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, if it's a 200 meter track, uh, and it's so fun in the scariest way possible. So (laughs) I'm I'm so excited to hear that you're entering these, these speedy mid distance races. If I'm an evangelist for strength training, I'm a huge evangelist for middle distance track races. So that is awesome to hear. I hope you have a great time. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Bradford. Thanks for listening, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to support our podcast, support our sponsors who help me keep the lights on. Use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast. We are sponsored by Inside Tracker, a company that's been around for more than 10 years to help you optimize your health, longevity, and performance. Learn more at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning to save 20% off anything in their online store. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds and generic annual blood work that you typically get with your PCP doesn't properly evaluate your biological age, but Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. You're going to see whatever metric is not in your personalized optimal zone and exactly how to change it so that you can take a very targeted approach to improving your health. 
You can also add InterAge 2.0 to any plan, and that'll help calculate your true biological age to see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash strength running. That's insidetracker.com slash strength running. I'm also grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy every single day. What can I say? I'm a man of convenience and sometimes some processed food is a lot easier. So I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful when I get a little bit lax with my diet. One scoop a day gives me 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a green superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I have those gaps and it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And I love that at this time of the year, I'm supporting my immune system so that I can stay as healthy as possible. But what I love about AG1 is that it changes. Over the last decade, they've made 53 improvements to the formula based on the latest research to help make all those nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with the third-party testing that the product receives. Go to athleticgreens.com Jason to see the great offer they've put together for podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment if you want to try it, or get a monthly subscription if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com Jason to sign up today. All right, that's our show, friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com coaching. And I'm always here to help, so don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running site, or you can message me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is Jason Fitz1. We'll be in touch soon.